0: The following is a product of philliesnation.com. Music by bensound.com. Additional audio by mlb.com. Value. Who has it? Who doesn't have it? I don't know. No, I'm kidding. We know who has it. We did the rankings for it. Who are the most valuable Phillies for 2017? 2017. Yes, Phillies fans, there's a new podcast in town. It used to be a podcast. It's back again. This is the Phillies Nation Podcast. Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, number one of the podcast. This is actually a mini-sode. I should be really, really clear from the beginning. This is a mini-sode. The full podcast will start March 27th. My name is Tim Malcolm. I am the editorial director of philliesnation.com. Yeah, we're starting the podcast up on March 27th. Before that, we're going to have a couple mini-sodes. This is the first one. Today, we're going to talk about a ranking that we put together this week at PhilliesNation.com called The Value 50. We're going to go through the top 10. But yeah, podcast, March 27th, starting up. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Well, let me tell you real quick how it's going to be done just to get that over with. On March 27th, we're going to have the first full Phillies Nation podcast. It'll be about 50 minutes long, it'll be a weekly podcast coming out on Mondays. We're going to do some news, some Phillies news, some opinion. I'll talk a little bit about the Phillies with one of the writers at philliesnation.com. We're going to have a feature interview with somebody who's either a notable Phillies fan, a celebrity of some sort, or maybe someone who's with the organization. Just have a good like 20-minute, 20 25-minute interview with somebody who's got something to say about the Phillies. It's going to be a good time. I can't wait to talk to a lot of great people. And then we're going to have some fan elements. We're not sure exactly what yet, but we want your input. If you have a cool story to tell or want to talk about the Phillies in some way, let me know. Uh, we're also looking for music for the podcast. We want a theme song. We want some bumper music. If you're a local artist who wants to get your music out there, this is an awesome opportunity for that. So if you have any input, if you have any information, any music, anything, email me at tim at just put podcasts in the subject line or what have you, and I'll get to that. Uh, please, just just contribute if you can because we want people to get involved. We want Phillies fans across the country and across the world to get involved in this podcast. That's what it's about. We're here for you. Uh, if you don't know PhilliesNation.com, we started in 2004, I believe, is when it officially sort of started. Uh, Brian Michael, the founder of the website, wanted a way to kind of talk about the Phillies outside of Philadelphia because he lived in Washington, D.C. at the time and wanted to talk Phillies. So he created a website, and it has lived on for so long and has done such an awesome job connecting Phillies fans throughout the world. We've had a TV show. We've had other podcasts. We've done a whole bunch of stuff. But this podcast is going to start on March 27th, so it'll be available on SoundCloud, iTunes, all those awesome platforms. Check it out, please. This is the first minisode, though. The value 50, top 10. Before we get there, before we get there, because we will get there, I swear to God. Wanted to tell you what's happening right now at philliesnation.com. A couple great stories that we've had over the past week. Brock Stasi is hitting the cover off the ball right now in Clear, uh, Clearwater. It's amazing. He had a grand slam. We were actually recording this on Wednesday. He had a grand slam yesterday, Tuesday, against the Tigers he is just hitting the ball, and the Phillies are taking notice or having him start in some games. He's playing some outfield now, not just first base. Mike Sadowski, one of our writers, is talking about Brack Stasi and if he has a shot at making the Phillies' 25-man roster, it's a good piece. He says, temper your enthusiasm. It is only March 10th today, but it looks pretty good for him right now. Dan Walsh, who does some great work. He has a cool piece on Edubre Ramos, the relief pitcher who last year had a one. He had one plate appearance. The only plate appearance of his entire professional career, and it was a walk. It was pretty awesome. you got to read the piece. It's really funny. Kirsten Swanson, uh, who's on a cruise right now. Ahoy, Kirsten. She had a piece last week on the World Baseball Classic. A bunch of Phillies playing in the WBC this year. Oduble is playing for his home country, Venezuela. Uh, Gemma Gomez is out there. Hector Neris is playing for the Dominican Republic. Um, Pat Neshek is playing for the American team. Nick Pavetta is playing for Canada. A couple others. We have a piece telling you when to watch those guys. So Kirsten Swanson did a piece on that. Check that out at philliesnation.com. Corey Sharp wrote about Pete McCannon. His contract is up after this year, unless the Phillies exercise his option for 2018. So Corey Sharp's talking about what he has to do to get that option picked up. It's a good piece, and other people are starting to take notice. I saw a piece on Philly.com over the past couple days that was about it, too, so uh, we're ahead of the game, guys. But check it out, because Pete McCannon has a uh, really tough job this year. He's got to get a lot of young guys together, he's got to make sure the veterans do their part, he's got to make sure this team makes some progress. Corey talks all about that. We'll talk all about Pete in a second. Spoiler. And I have a column, I write a column every weekend at PhillySnation.com, and you got to check this out. I have long been an advocate for Scott Rowland, but I've also long been someone who talks a little bit about Pete Rose and how he wasn't that good of a Philly. I know he has this very symbolic meaning. Pete Rose came in in 1979 and helped the 1980 team win the World Series. Absolutely. He was good in 83, too, late in the year when they got to the World Series that year. But Pete Rose and Scott Rowland, two guys on the Wall of Fame ballot for this year, They are so opposite that it's not funny. It's a really interesting sort of narrative that I think the Phillies kind of put together this year. That's just my thought, my interpretation. I could be totally wrong. I'm not making any factual uh, claims on that one. I just think it's a really funny narrative. And I wrote about Pete Rose and Scott Rowan and why these two guys uh, shouldn't be separated by that much, actually, because of their Wall of Fame destinies this year. And... Finally, the Value 50. We started that this week and today we have unveiled the top 10. We also have a write-up today on the number one entrant. We'll talk about that in a second. But let's get into it. The Value 50 top 10. So what we did at VillageNation.com over the past week Last year we did something called the Power 50. It's the same thing. But the idea was, and I think I got this from Pete Abraham, who now I think writes for Boston.com, maybe The Globe, something like that. But he was a New York Yankees beat writer and really one of the forerunners of baseball blogging. He did something a long time ago with the Yankees where he ranked the Yankees in terms of who had the most power on the team, who was the most sort of likely to move the needle with the fans, and that's what the value 50 is about. It's really, for fans, who are the people whose performance means the most for your enjoyment of the Phillies in 2017? So, you know, if Jeremy Hellickson has a bad game, will that move the needle as much as if Mike Franco has a bad week? That's what we're talking about. Whose performance, whether on the field or off the field, in the boardroom, wherever they are will mean the most to you going ahead in 2017. It's not down the line, like years down the line. And it's not who's the most powerful. Because if we said who's the most powerful in the Phillies organization, well, that might just obviously be John Middleton every single year because he's the owner of the team, one of the owners at least. This is about who has the most impact right here, right now, for you, the fan. So we ranked the top 50. Each of the writers at philliesnation.com did their own top 50. We added up all the scores. And basically, whoever was ranked 1, 2, 3 had the lowest score, right? So the lowest score is number 1, 2, 3, 4, and all the way down the line, we unveiled most of the top 50 over the past week. Today is the top 10, and I'm going to talk to you about the top 10 right now on the Phillies Nation podcast. So let's get into it. Number 10. Number 10 is Matt Stairs, who is the new hitting coach for the Phillies. He came from the broadcast booth last year. And he's got a tall order in front of him because the Phillies last year, I don't know if you heard, I'm not sure if you know, but the Phillies were terrible offensively last year. They hit 240, which was 14th in the National League out of 15, with a 301 on base percentage, 14th in the National League out of 15, and a 384 slugging percentage, 14th in the National League out of 15. In every metric, they were terrible. Really had the worst offense in the National League last year, one of the worst offenses in all of baseball. They did not do a lot of things well at all. But this year, there is some hope. They got some veterans who could actually really contribute Howie Kendrick, Michael Saunders. They also have some young guys who are ready to, I think, take that next step. Some guys who had tough years last year who hopefully will rebound. And they have some fresh blood coming in from AAA and maybe even AA that could really energize this team maybe midseason. Matt Stairs has to kind of juggle all those things this year as the hitting coach. He's going to have, obviously, the very good Oduble Herrera. He's going to have Saunders and Kendrick in the corners doing their thing. But he also has Tommy Joseph in his first full season as an everyday first baseman. He's got Cesar Hernandez maybe making a leap. Maybe. He has Michael Franco obviously needing to kind of get back to where he was in 2015. And Freddie Galvis hopefully coming back to being a more well-rounded offensive player. And then Cameron Rupp, who had a decent start to the year last year, floundered a little bit late in the year, but is a pretty decent average offensive player. All those things together, plus Roman Quinn, Nick Williams, J.P. Crawford, anybody else coming up from the minors, juggling all that, that's a really tall order, but it's really going to be an interesting year for Matt Stairs. He has to preach patience. And he has to preach line drive hitting. No more of this swinging upward, which we'll talk about in a second. No more of this, you know, uh, uh, hitting early in counts and pop-ups in the infield. Be patient at the plate. Be like the 2007-2008 Phillies. And try to hit line drives. Try to get the ball into that second tier of the outfield where balls can really make some damage happen. You know, doubles, triples, even some home runs. Matt Stairs, number 10, tough year for the offense last year, but I think he's got a really good job in front of him. It's going to be tough, but he, I think, really has what it takes to get these Phillies to that next level. Number 9. and number 9, like I said, that big swing, we're talking about Mike Calfranco. He had a tough year last year, down year last year, 255 batting average, 306 on base percentage, 427 slug. All much more uh, decreased from his 2015 levels where he played half a season and and was extremely good for a long part of that season. He had 25 home runs last year, but they were pretty hollow in my opinion. He swung up a lot. He tried to pull the ball a lot. I think he was trying too hard to be the fulcrum of this lineup. The guy who can get all the runs home. Didn't work out, uh, but he does have some help now. Saunders and Kendrick are here. Saunders is going to help, hopefully, with the power. And Tommy Joseph for a full season. If Tommy Joseph can be at least the kind of player that he was at times last year where he can hit some home runs and provide a little bit of stability in the middle of the lineup, then it's going to be a lot easier for Michael Franco. And hopefully Max Harris is going to help him out. But for the Phillies fans, you know Franco being very good is really good, right? It's great. It's, it's, it's seeing someone who at any moment can hit a big home run seeing franco bad means now that's another person we have to worry about what where does that come from where does the offensive production come from do they have to move quicker on getting a free agent uh, bat you know that stuff is very important so franco's job is very important this year and that's why we ranked him in the top 10. number eight number eight is jp crawford yes jp you know, last year at this time, I thought he was going to make the team in 2016. I was really excited about him, but it didn't happen. He had a tough year in Lehigh Valley. He did move from Reading to Lehigh Valley, and he didn't play so well in AAA. 244 with a 328 on base percentage and a 318 slugging percentage. Obviously, he wasn't hitting the ball as hard as he wanted to, he was getting fooled a little bit more. But here's the thing J.P. Crawford is young. Okay, he's still under the age of 24. In fact, I think he's 22 this year. I could be wrong. I did not look that up. I apologize. I should know that. But he is still very young. At least five years younger, four years younger than most players in A still. And his numbers last year, 244 average, 328 OBP. That's actually not very bad for a really young kid in A baseball. Chances are he's going to get better. Chances are the on-base percentage, which 328 is not that bad. Let's be honest. Hopefully that gets to 340, 350. And hopefully everything else is still there, right? He's a good defensive player. In fact, a very good defensive player. He's got decent speed. He's a leader. And that's something that I think is really important about JP is it just came out a couple days ago that he's mentoring Mickey Moniak, the first overall draft pick of the Phillies. That's a big deal. I mean, that's someone who sees that he's going to be not only a good player, but someone who the rest of the organization is relying on to be a leader and he's taking that already into his own hands and that's very important i think this is the year where jp does show that he belongs now in the major leagues and he will do that i think he'll get to the majors this year but it's important his play is important because if he doesn't make it then we're really asking a lot of questions but if he does make it hey this team has another piece of that electrifying puzzle that we're all hoping comes together very soon. Number seven. Vince Velasquez is number seven, and we know how important he is. We saw it back in April when he struck out sixteen San Diego Padres in that incredible business person special game against the uh, San Diego. That was amazing, right? His second start as a Philly and he just he was astounding. That can happen again. He can do that kind of stuff again, but he needs to pitch longer in two games. He needs to not nibble as much. He might not have 16 strikeouts a game again. He might have 11 or 12, but he needs to be more of a pitcher. That's basically what it comes down to. Last year, 131 innings. He only pitched into this... Well, he pitched seven finished innings. He finished seven innings only two other times besides the San Diego game. So... He needs to go seven, eight innings more often. Uh, Hopefully he does that this year. Had a 4.12 ERA last year. He had 45 walks. He had over 120 strikeouts. Good numbers, right? Those are good numbers. Those are nice numbers for a young guy. But he does need to pitch deeper into games, and he can't get hurt. If he does and things fall apart again, then we're looking at – Again, you know, what is this guy going to be? Is he going to be a number four starter? Maybe a bullpen, you know, a reliever out of the uh, seventh or eighth innings. Maybe even a closer someday. But I think his value is best when he's a top flight pitcher. He could be a number two pitcher potentially. So they want him to be that. He's got to pitch deeper into games. And that's what it's going to be for him in 2017. Number six. So John Middleton, you know, he obviously is powerful. We all know that. But he's very valuable because he came out in front of everything in the past year. Over the offseason, Jim Salisbury had a conversation with him, and he expressed very, very succinctly that he wants these Phillies to win a championship again. He wants nothing more than to be the guy who's the owner of the Phillies when they win a championship. He wants it for the city of Philadelphia. He wants it for his Phillies fandom. He grew up a Phillies fan. He just wants it and doubling down on that, Major League Baseball named him the control person of the Phillies over the offseason, and that means that he's the guy. He's the face. Right now, because the Phillies don't have a player who's a imminent face of the team, John Middleton is the face of this franchise, and so it's up to him to really be out in front and when it's time to make that move, say, yeah, make that move. At the same time, he can't let Matt Klintak... And uh, Andy McPhail, he can't tell them no. He can't say, well, your plan is taking too long. I need to step in. We've seen what's happened in other organizations in the city where owners step in or other entities step in and say, this isn't going the way we like it. We're going to do this it doesn't necessarily go well. And that's what Middleton needs to avoid. He needs to be patient. He needs to know that he's got the best people around him. It sounds like he does know that. Hopefully that continues this year. But make no mistake, he is the face of this franchise and that makes him a very valuable person. Number five. Number five, of course, a very valuable person to this organization is the field manager. And Pete McCannon is very valuable this year. In fact, it's a big year for him because his contract runs out after this year unless the Phillies pick up the option on the contract. He needs to prove that he can manage a team that not only is young and can use some coaching and teaching, but a team that can get to the next level. and we're talking about playoffs. Last year, he had some very interesting moves. He benched Odubo Herrera when they weren't getting eye to eye. He also had a little bit of a kerfluffle with the Ryan Howard situation, playing him, not playing him. Howard wasn't happy sometimes. He needs to balance it very well this year. What is the line between being a players manager and a guy who's going to get this team to the next level? Give time to the new kids, right? When guys like Roman Quinn and Nick Williams come up or J.P. Crawford, don't let them sit on the bench for too long because you're going to get a Dominic Brown situation again. And we saw what happened there. Not that that was the reason why Brown floundered, but you have to be very careful with these things. you got to give the young kids what they need to succeed. And he's got to make smart decisions every game. The bullpen was one of his weaknesses last year, I thought, especially as the year went on, and he continued to stay with Jemar Gomez. And he had some other questionable moves at times. Not as bad as Ryan Sandberg, and I actually think he was better than Charlie Manuel with the bullpen. But he needs to be very careful when it comes to putting guys in the best position to win. We've heard that so many times. Andy Reid, when he was coach of the Eagles, said it a lot. He needs to put his guys in the best position to win. That's the year. This is the year where that really happens. Okay, So he's got to do that or else they're going to find a more prolific manager who's going to come in and try to make this team a playoff team in 2019 and beyond. Number four. Andy McPhail, this is actually pretty simple, cut and dry. He's always going to be at the top of this list somewhere. And he's number four here because he is the guy who basically runs the show baseball-wise. Matt Klentak is the guy who makes the moves. He's the guy who's got the day-to-day strategy kind of laid out in front of him. But Andy McPhail is the one who says, this is where we're going. And right now, they're transitioning from being that rebuilding team that's in the drags that had a terrible year in 2015 to a team that's now on the rise. And everybody expects the Phillies to get a little bit better this year, whether it's in record or just in general gameplay. They need to be better this year. They also need to show that they're going to be better in 2018 and 19. The young kids coming up, they have to be in a good position. Just like with McCannon, Andy McPhail has to put this organization in a good position to make the best moves possible to win into the future. That means no big contracts to veterans. Check. That happened this offseason. That means giving the young guys an opportunity to play. Right now, we're not sure, but we'll see how that goes as the year goes on. And finally, the draft. The draft this year is important. They have the number eight pick in the first round. They need to make another solid pick and then make good picks beyond that. Know how to use their slot strategy. Know how to get the best value out of the later rounds. They did that to a nice extent last year. I thought it was a good draft. But this year is important because they want to be able to refill those younger and smaller levels so that when the guys in the lower levels come up, they still have that recycled farm system that's still making moves and still bringing guys up and doing some good things. So, McPhail's got a lot of work to do this year, as always. He is the guy who steers the plan. That makes it easy to put him in the top 10. Number three. So, the player who gets the highest mark on our list in the value 50 is Aaron Nola, not J.B. Crawford, not Michael Franco. It's Nola. Why? Last year, Aaron Nola started the year exceptionally well, a 3.55 ERA in April with 37 strikeouts and 6 walks. Then in May, a 2.31 ERA with 39 strikeouts and 7 walks in 6 starts. He was terrific and there was no pitcher that looked like Aaron Nola in the Philly staff. And Aaron Nola had looked like no pitcher in the Philly staff since Cole Hamels and Cliff Lee. This guy can be a top-flight pitcher. He can be a number-two pitcher, maybe a number-one on his best days. And then June happened. 10-4-2 ERA with 23 strikeouts and 9 walks. Opponent batting average was 430. He had nothing on his pitches anymore. He was obviously hurt, and that's what happened. He got shelled for the rest of the year, had an elbow injury. Luckily, it's nothing serious more than it was last year. Hopefully, that's what it stays. We don't want to see any Tommy Johns. We don't want to see any further re injury of the elbow. Hopefully, Nola is 100% healthy. And in fact, after his first spring outing, he did tell the media just that. Feel good. Feel good. You know, it's just feels really good to get back out in the game situation again and uh, games that, that, that matter. You know, it's not just bad practice or, or bullpen. So uh, overall, felt really good. This is a huge year for Aaron Nola. If he can come back to what he was to start 2016, the Phillies have somebody that they can rely on in a five-game playoff series. Seven-game playoff series, even a wild-card game. That's one guy. Just as Velasquez can make himself heard this year, just as even Jared Eikhoff can make himself a potential number three or four starter this year, But Aaron Nola has the ability to be the consistent force that the Phillies can turn the ball to every couple days and say, yeah, we have a really, really good shot at winning this game today. That's what Nola faces this year. We really hope he gets there. And because of that, he's number three. Number two. Number two on this list is the guy who was number two last year on this list, Joe Jordan, the director of player development for the Phillies. This guy has a very important job. And it's all about making sure the guys in the farm system can be the best possible major leaguers that they can be. He's done a nice job of it. We've had guys like Michael Franco, Tommy Joseph. What a great story last year. Obviously, Aaron Nola. Uh, there have been other examples, too, of guys who have come up through the system and have done a very nice job with the Phillies. And Joe Jordan is a testament to that. But right now, he has this incredible wealth of prospects, especially in the upper levels. Nick Williams. Roman Quinn, Dylan Cousins, J.P. Crawford, Zach Eflin, the list goes on, Jake Thompson. These guys, some of them have already sniffed the majors, but some of them have not been there yet and need to get there. It's up to Jordan to kind of make sure that all of his prospects, whether he's working with them directly or indirectly through his staff, are in the best position to get to the next level. He's incredibly important. Now, the other thing that is really important about Jordan's job is not just the guys at the upper levels. But it's the guys in the lower levels who right now we have all these sort of starry eyes about. We're talking about Sixto Sanchez who was a top 10 prospect on a lot of lists this year. Sixto's got electrifying stuff. And he's pitching way down to the lower levels. Can he become a very good pitcher that not only gets to the majors one day, but can get to Reading, can get to Clearwater, can be someone that the Phillies say, yeah, this guy has real potential. That's important. Franklin Colome. Sort of a working example of a pitcher who's getting there. A very good arm. He's got great stuff. He's going to pitch in Clearwater this year. Can he make the jump? Can he be better? Can he get to Reading? That's important. Jalen Ortiz, the hot-hitting international signing. Can he make the jump? Adonis Medina, great pitcher. Can he make the jump? A lot of young guys, especially Latin guys. Phillies have a great Latin system. A lot of young guys in those lower levels need to get to that next level. It's up to Joe Jordan and his staff to make sure that that happens. He is incredibly important for the Phillies' success, both now and in the future. Number one. And finally, our number one on the value 50. We've reached it. We're here. Number one on the list, as you see on philliesnation.com right now, is Matt Klentak. Yes, the general manager of the Phillies. Surprise, surprise, is number one on our list. He wasn't number one last year. In fact, number one last year was Johnny Almaraz, who is the director of amateur scouting and was responsible, I mean, it's his job to make sure that the Phillies make the best possible number one pick in the draft last year. They got Mickey Moniak. Now it's up to Klintak because we're switching from the future to the present. We're starting to make that transition. The Phillies have been under a very long and arduous rebuild and Klintak was brought in to ensure that that rebuild goes from phase A to phase B. We're now going into phase B. How does Klintak supplement what is happening with the farm system and on the major league level? He has some good young players in Michael Franco and, and, and Odubel Herrera and Tommy Joseph and Aaron Nola and Vince Velasquez and Jared Ickoff and Cesar Hernandez. Can they make that next leap, right? We've already talked about that. But along with that, how does he supplement those guys? Does he do it with prospects? Does he do it with veterans? How does that work this year? His offseason, I think, was very good. He made some very nice and smart plays. But the trade deadline, will he make moves going into next offseason? Where are the Phillies going to be and who do they want to target? Is it time to get a big free agent? How are they going to position themselves to make that happen? Do they trade one of the prospects at the trade deadline? A lot has to go into this this year. And Matt Klintak... All eyes are on him. I will have more on him and his job at philliesnation.com. You can actually see it right now on the website. But I'll say this. There needs to be progress. Whether the Phillies become a 75-win team or they just have a better on-field product and you start to see some of the good things happening. That needs to happen. And it's up to Matt Clentak to make that happen. And that's it for the Power 50, our top 10, our main segment here in the mini-sode of the Phillies Nation podcast. And thus ends the Phillies Nation podcast for this week. I will have another mini-sode in a few days with Dan Walsh. We're going to talk projections. We're also going to have a new podcast that starts off on March 27th. We have a great guest lined up. We're going to have some great stuff to talk about. Season preview, obviously. That'll come out March 27th, that Monday. Check out philliesnation.com for more news and information and opinion and so much more. We have a great week of stuff lined up for you. For the Phillies Nation podcast, I'm Tim Malcolm. See you next time.